Welcome to the podcast of San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. My name is D. Kelly. It is always a joy to dig into the Word of God with you. The church is located at 3901 Loma Land Drive, and we welcome you anytime to join us. We've got Sunday morning services at 1030, <clears throat> Sunday school classes at 9 o'clock, and then on Wednesday we have a variety of programming for all age groups. And we hope that sometime you might come and join us. And if you need to continue to uh, join us via our online offerings, we are so glad you are doing that. We have been in a series that has taken us into the book of Hebrews, and we continue in that series this morning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7 is our starting point, verses 23 through 28. <clears throat> but in this passage, we want to take into account what we have um, learned leading up to this point. And if you haven't heard any of the previous podcasts on um, Hebrews, don't feel worried at all. We'll bring you up to date on what we've been looking at. The last week that we got together, we looked at Melchizedek, a king and a priest, a king of Salem and a priest of the Most High God. The king of Salem designation we find in Genesis chapter 14. Uh, priest of the Most High God we find in Psalm 110. So it's this interesting combination of a king of a city, um, also designated as the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And the storyline in Genesis 14 is that Melchizedek comes and provides a blessing on Abram at the end of a battle, a victory that Abram had. Well, it's important for us to understand the background to this even more than just the Old Testament Genesis 14 passage in relationship to Hebrews. We also want to um, take a look at the sacrificial system that is such an integral part of the Old Testament, and then that theme or that... Uh, understanding is carried into this book of Hebrews as the writer of Hebrews tries to make sense of what Jesus has done based on the Old Testament writings. This is a very Hebrew book. Um, thus, the name Hebrews seems so appropriate. But when we go back to the Old Testament and look at the first five books, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, we find in Leviticus the giving of the law and the explanation or the details of the law. In this law depicted in Leviticus, we have the rules and regulations. They are the rules and regulations of what it means to love God and love others, and the prohibition against those things that provide a hindrance to the relationship with God and provide some kind of an offense toward others. So those things that depict our um, harm toward others, adultery, murder, stealing, false testimony, envy, these kinds of things create divisions between ourselves and our neighbors, and they don't depict love toward our neighbors. And so the portion of what we are called to to love others is depicted from the negative standpoint, in many ways, in Leviticus, as it recites the prohibitions 
of those things that shouldn't be done because they are an offense to others. It also lists those things that are an offense to God that break our relationship with God, such as having an idol, um, not um, keeping the Sabbath day, um, having some other God before the one and only God, Yahweh. These kinds of things prevent us from having relationship with God because by our choice, we are following something else or someone else. And in order to be a follower of God, we need to devote ourselves fully to God. And so the prohibitions that are listed in Leviticus protect us from going down a pathway that separates us from God. When we do any of these things that separate us from others or harm others or separate us from God, there needs to be a sacrifice, a um, way by which we are reconciled to God because there is punishment for the sins that are listed. And the way by which we move back into relationship is to bring our sacrifices to God. And so, not only does Leviticus speak about the rules and regulations, but it also gets very specific as to what kind of sacrifices must be offered at the altar of the temple for these various areas of disobedience. This sacrificial system seems very complicated to us as we read through the book and seems like a lot of death related to animals, um, offering uh, not only grain sacrifices, but animal sacrifices for the shedding of blood is what absolves the people of guilt, is what scripture says. We realize that this sacrificial system was put in place in Leviticus but it was generations prior where there was a familiarity with the sacrificial system because as early as Genesis 4 with the story of Cain and Abel, we find that two sacrifices are brought. One is acceptable and one is not. One of the sacrifices being a minka and the other being a mibakorath. And so the entire Old Testament is filled with a basic understanding um, of this sacrificial system that helps us to renew the relationship we have with God and with others when we acknowledge our sins or acknowledge our guilt. Well, the writer of Hebrews embarks on an interesting depiction in our passage today of Jesus being in the order of Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. Some of the things that are very significant out of this um, lineage, if you will, of Jesus being in the line of Melchizedek is that we know so little about Melchizedek. We know from Genesis 14 that he brought this blessing and bread and wine to Abram and those that were with him in battle. Pronouncing this blessing, Abram gives to Melchizedek a tenth of all he has, this tithe becomes from that point on the way by which the work of the church and the priesthood happens, carries on to this day in our church. It takes its cue from what Melchizedek did in the story in Genesis 14, where this blessing from 
the king-priest Melchizedek happens on Abraham. Well, the writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus being in the order of Melchizedek and being a priest forever, unlike the priests, the high priests of the great tradition of Aaron and the Levites. Melchizedek had no genealogy. And Jesus' genealogy takes Jesus back to the tribe of Judah. But Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek being a high priest forever. And so, let me read to you the passage, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. Beginning with verse 23. Now there were many of those priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints us, appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. The argument here from the writer of Hebrews is that Jesus is the one who has come and has become for us a permanent sacrifice for all time. Because through Jesus' resurrection, Jesus is our high priest forever. Having not sinned, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices on his own behalf. And having sacrificed himself on our behalf... This becomes the sacrifice that forever opens up relationship for us with God, which is the role of the high priest. The role of religion is to open up this pathway to God that we might have relationship with our creator, that no longer will God be an impersonable um prime mover that started things in motion and then removes God's self from everything and we're left on our own. But instead, through Christ Jesus, we are offered relationship and access to the one who created us. No longer needing a sacrificial system that we have to repeat every day or when we can make a pilgrimage to the temple and offer on the altar. Instead, we have access through the one who has been named as the high priest forever. And this is the one we serve, forever opening the way to God. I remember some time ago, um, I was invited to go to a concert hall with a very significant presentation of somebody 
very well known, and I was invited by um, our own Dean Nelson. And uh, Kay and I both went with Dean and Marcia, and afterwards, Dean took me backstage, and because of uh, the popularity of this particular individual, there were several checkpoints that people could not get through unless for some reason they had special entree into this backstage. And there were people that looked a whole lot like bouncers, um, a couple of whom I wasn't sure I would want to mess with at various doors. And when we would get to that point, I don't know if Dean flashed something or said something or what the case might be, but there was this open entree for Dean. And my response is I'm trailing behind him as I look at this person that looks incredibly intimidating is simply this, I'm with this guy. And somehow that phrase, I'm with this guy, got me past several checkpoint doors back to the back inner sanctum after this large, large presentation. I feel like in some small way that represents what it's like to come to prayer to the Almighty God and to say, I'm here with Jesus. Jesus forever intercedes and so often I've looked at that word as meaning he makes petition to the reluctant father because the father is reluctant to pour out blessings. That's not what I think intercession is in this case. It is Jesus continually interceding, meaning continually opening up a door, a pathway, a means by which we enter into relationship with God Almighty, we touch eternity, we smell the aroma of grace, we taste love, and it, it's true that we have access because of what Jesus has done. We're with this one, the one who laid down his life on our behalf, not by anything I have earned, not by anything I have done, not by my own credentials, not by anything I offer, simply because I'm with Jesus. That's, that's what allows me into this place and what it means that Jesus is continually interceding on our behalf, continually opening up a pathway. Now, I don't want to take away from what it also means to cry out on our behalf. I love two very powerful portions of Scripture. One is in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, where it says the Holy Spirit makes intercession on our behalf with groans that cannot be uttered with words. Because the Holy Spirit knows our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, and knows how to interpret what it is that is deep within us with our aches and our hurt and our pain and our hopes and our suffering and our joy and somehow translates those on our behalf that we might be reconciled or brought into hope or led into the pathways where we might be a reflection of God's love 
and a vessel for God's grace. But there's also a very powerful passage where we find Jesus interceding on our behalf while Jesus walked this earth. There is a wonderful portion of the Gospel of John. If it's not familiar to you, I encourage you to read it. It's chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17. It begins with Jesus addressing the disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And goes on to offer some amazing teachings that call us to love and unity with one another. In chapter 17, we have Jesus praying, praying for himself, praying for his friends, his close followers, and then praying for others. It's beautiful to see the way by which Jesus intercedes on our behalf. And he is recognizing the the struggles, the difficulties, but praying very clearly that we might be one, that we might be filled with the love that Jesus has, that we might be filled with Jesus himself, that Jesus might live in us. That's the closing of the prayer, that I myself may be in them, is what Jesus prays. It is standing up on our behalf. It is trying to plead our case, and love our journey. It is a powerful passage. Here is what is particularly intriguing to me, and that is that we are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, we will never be the sacrifice that takes away the sins of others. That's Jesus. We will never be Jesus in that regard. But we are called to intercede on behalf of others. To live a life that opens up pathways, windows, to the kingdom of God. That when somebody looks through the window of our life, they might see a relationship that invites them into a similar relationship. That's what it means to be part of the priesthood of all believers, to open up a pathway for other people. But it also means to stand in the gap on behalf of others like Jesus did in chapter 17, to pray on behalf of what others are going through. And in this, to try and feel what others feel, to try and hold what others hold, to try and cry what others cry. That's what it means to move into intercessory prayer, to simply pray on behalf of another and to hold them, to hold them and what they hold, to carry their burden in some ways, whatever that might mean, to show up like Melchizedek just showed up. I remember years ago, when Kay and I struggled with fertility issues. Ten years into our marriage, it seemed like that there was not much hope in the possibility of having children. And I can recall the people who had come alongside us. 
and they just simply held life with us. They didn't try to ignore the struggle, nor did they try to fix the struggle. They just tried to hold the struggle with us. And when our eldest and our youngest came along, there was joy that we got to share with those who had simply held life with us and then got to hold joy with us as well. It's what I feel like intercession is all about. To pray on behalf of somebody else and in so doing, just to try and be in their lives in such a way that they feel compassion. They feel love. They feel grace. Grace to be sad. Grace to be frustrated. Grace to struggle. Grace to move forward. So this morning, I simply ask, is there somebody in your life this morning for whom you are interceding? Knowing full well that you have one that continually for eternity intercedes on your behalf. Could you be a pathway for someone else to see the eternal? To see God's grace? Could you be the window through which others might know they are simply being held as you hold life together? If you're the one that needs the intercession, I pray this morning that you sense God's presence in your life, that you know that Jesus is ever interceding for you, that you know that we would long to pray for you. Can let us know if you have prayer requests, contacting the church office, sending us a note, however you would like to communicate it, and please know that we will hold you up and try and carry that pain or that concern with you. But it might also be that God is calling you to hold another person in prayer, for you to be the one who is interceding. And so I encourage you in these moments to allow God's Spirit to bring a name to mind, a person to mind, someone that is close and dear to you as Jesus prayed for those who are friends and those who are beyond that circle of close friendships, listening to what the Spirit would say in how we hold life with someone else. So as I pray for you, maybe this invites you to pray first for yourself and then to be an intercessor on behalf of others. Lord God, we thank you for what you have put in place that provides the bridge the open door for us to have relationship with you. Jesus, for laying down your life on our behalf, for providing a sacrifice that is forever and interceding in that way on our behalf, that we might always have a pathway toward you. And in that pathway, being invited back into a relationship where we love you and love others with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. And so if there is any area in our life where we have harmed others, harmed ourselves, or been disobedient to you, 
By your sacrifice, we ask your forgiveness. By your sacrifice, we plead what you have done on our behalf, that we might be restored. Restored to relationship with you. That we might be loved by you and held by you as our great high priest. And now, Lord, you invite us to follow in your footsteps that our lives might truly be a reflection of your grace, that others might see in our journey a path back to relationship, a pathway of hope, not because of anything we've done, but because we live in such a way that we depict your eternal grace. And so, Lord, there are people in our lives whose struggle we lift up, whose life we hold in these moments. And Lord, we mention them by name to you so that you and us together might intercede on behalf of others. Hear our prayer. Hear the hurt that we're trying to hold. Hear our request that you might step in and make a difference in the life and journey of someone else. And if you call us to do anything in particular, Lord, give us the grace and the courage and the strength to do so. But most of all, Lord, help us to carry some of the heaviness on their behalf, some of the weight for them as we try and intercede as you have called us to be a priesthood of believers. And may our unity depict your grace in all we do. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, I pray that God gives you peace. God gives you strength to intercede. God fills you with God's love. And may God's countenance show up on your face and on your life that others might see grace through you. May God's peace be with you this week.